This sermon was recorded online during our season of Shelter in Place in Mountain View, California. Now, I don't, when, I don't know when it was in business history that mission statements kind of became a thing. But in this day and age, there's no business, indeed no organization, that doesn't have a mission statement of some kind. And it got me thinking, like, well, what would some of these be? I mean, when you think of what a mission statement is to begin with, it has to describe why this organization, why this business exists. How are they going to use their resources? What is their aim? And so I began to look up some of these. Like, some are brief. Like the group that does TED Talks, theirs is spread ideas. That's, that's their mission statement, is to spread ideas. Some were surprising. Teslas, for example. You know, here's what it actually is. To accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. Like, I would have thought was to make cool electric cars that still require you to drive with both hands on the wheel. Um, Ikea, to create a better everyday life for many people. And I would have added, as long as you're not the one who has to do the assembling. <laughs> but these are mission statements, and I, I call this to mind because the passage that he read, the, the New Testament, really does read like this. Let me read that second paragraph again. If you have your, your uh, order of service, just flip back with me. Just, and just kind of listen. Here, here's what Paul says to the Corinthian church. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And you can probably hazard a thought as to what the mission statement could be for this passage, to be reconciled, to be reconnected to God, one who was estranged now to join, to be joined to him, be reconciled. We are ambassadors as Christians of reconciliation. We know that because Paul uses this word so frequently in this brief passage. That is the aim that Paul has of his own mission, and that is the aim he has for the church because he's also multiplying disciples. When I think of aim and I think of, of just that mission statement, I, what came to mind was uh, Winston Churchill's famous speech when he's a prime minister all of just three days in the midst of a battle that's now raging in France. He comes to the parliament because he has to let them know that he has formed a government. And then he says, he asks, says this as part of his speech. You ask, what is our aim? I will answer in one word. It is victory. Victory at all costs. Victory no, in spite of all terrors. Victory no matter how long or how hard the road. For without victory, there is no survival. A brief statement. Victory is the aim 
for us as believers, reconciliation, to be reconciled to God is what we are called to do. And I think this is, these are passages from this week's reading in the lectionary. And it's helping us, I think, to reconnect with or get in touch with, to move from whatever back burner, the, the mission of the church is in our hearts and minds to the front burner and to see that what God has for us, that our, our mission, if you will, is to be about being his agents of reconciliation, to being his ambassadors. It really is an exclusive opportunity for us as his church. We have been given this as a charter. If we don't do it, who will in fact do it? We who have been reconciled to God now have the, the opportunity and indeed the exhortation and the command to go and be facilitators, ambassadors of reconciliation to those around us. So how are we doing? What may be getting in our way? And I don't, you know, we could ask that from a Holy Trinity perspective, but even before we get there, let's just ask it of ourselves. What are the things that maybe kind of uh, create some interference so that we're not really thinking like this? We're not thinking in these terms. We're not on the lookout for ways that we might be God's ambassadors of reconciliation. I think there's a couple things that, categories, if you will, that might be impacting us. One would be a kind of disbelief, not a disbelief in what scripture says necessarily or, or the doctrine per se, but sort of a disbelief that kind of creeps in because we don't want to believe at some level that people really do need to hear who Christ is and to respond to his offer of reconciliation. Just to be clear about what we're meaning theologically for a moment, Christ is the agent of reconciliation. We are the ones who are estranged from our Heavenly Father. It is because of the work and invitation of Christ that we can come to our Heavenly Father to be reunited, to be what, what this passage calls a new creation. Like that is this amazing, incredible privilege that will take us all of this lifetime to really understand more and more fully what its impact is, but then to have it revealed when we are with Christ in His kingdom. But right now, it's hard to necessarily all, to think about those terms, to think of that as a mission. And we have a kind of disbelief. Sometimes that disbelief is fed by uh, scholars. There's a lot uh, recently, the, the doctrine of, for example, universalism, I've, I've seen creep in a bit. Universalism as a theological idea is the sense that, that this idea of eternal separation from God is just not something that scripture truly speaks of. That somehow God, because he is almighty and we are so frail and he is so loving and we really don't know what's best for us and that Jesus died for all, that all of this works together so that in the end, the sheep and the goats somehow are able to be with God. As a recent popular scholar wrote uh, a version in the New Testament that said essentially this, and N.T. Wright wrote a comment on it. He said, in, in reality... So the, the, the scholar said that he, his claim was to write a piteously literal translation of the New Testament that wasn't shaped by any later or Reformation doctrinal category or history. But Wright's kind of comment as he reviewed that book was he says that this scholar is welcome to advocate universalism, but to make, it the, New Test, to make the New Testament teach it is actually hard work. 
And so I, I say that because there is urgency to this. There is an opportunity as God would present that to us. We don't have to be neurotic about what that looks like or uh, always to, to be yeah, frantic about, Lord, who do I need to share my faith with? But as we go about our day, our work, our world, to just be expectant that God would give us opportunities to be agents of reconciliation. That's a comment, you know, it could be a comment. It could be uh, some, some beginning conversation. I don't know what that looks like in our time together. We're not really going to explore the particulars only to really make the case that that's what we need to be about and not to let disbelief, a particular doctrinal flavor. In this case, we're talking about universalism or just sort of a, a low-grade disbelief because sometimes we can let the things of this world just kind of cause us to wonder if what Scripture says, what Paul is saying here is really true. I think of Psalm 73, if you know that, that the psalmist is lamenting that, that he has been living this good and holy life. He is part of the righteous, but he is having, he's in a miserable time. He is having no end of hardships. And he looks around and he sees what who he calls the wicked people that don't know God. They seem to be having a great life. He said they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. And their pride is their necklace. Sometimes we can be like that. We can look around and we can say, Lord, I'm being faithful to you, but all I'm getting is a whole lot of testing. But in the meantime, I'm seeing people that are got no desire to know you and they are going seemingly from success to success. You're like, how is that happening? And if we're not careful, that can, as I said, kind of provide a low-grade disbelief. So disbelief can kind of get us off that priority, can get us off the mission, if you will. But the other thing that also can work against us is just basic distraction. The good things in this life, the vocations that we are called to, the relationships that we have, just making life work from shopping to repairing your stuff in your apartment or fixing up your house or your car, all that can just build up over time. And pretty soon, before we know it, we've lost connection. We, we've forgotten that our mission is, that Paul's mission was, and his exhortation to us is to be about, be ambassadors of reconciliation. If not us, who is really the question. So we can be distracted. We can be worried. I mean, I'm thankful that it's June. I'm thankful that we're in the sun. I'm thankful that we've emerged from COVID, that we could shake hands today and give hugs and all that. But there wasn't a time, there was a time not too long ago when we didn't know when we'd emerge from COVID. When, you know, COVID was rampant, the economy was down, jobs were kind of up in the air, um, all kinds of hard political times and deep racial questions were impacting kind of our whole body politic and who we are as a nation. And it would be, we could all understandably be forgiven for letting our minds and wonder, well, what is coming down that road? What, what do I need to be concerned about? And even to get into a bit of a spin cycle of anxiety over one of these factors. And if that's the case, and I'll own to that, and I realized, you know, what I, I could think, well, what's going to happen here and what's going to be that outcome? And, and before I know it, I'm letting the worry of the future interrupt my joy in the present, interrupt my connection with God here and now. Finally, you know, the spirit one night got a hold of me and said, you know what? You're going to bed. I mean, yeah, there's all these things, but you don't know the outcome of these. You can pray. You need to pray for them. And you need to appreciate that right tonight, you get to go to your bed and you get to have 
the level of peace and tranquility that I provide, and I'm allowing you just to have the right amount of challenges and issues and all kinds of pressures, but I am here. And just to you know, catch my breath for a moment and to realize, here I am in this place that God has given me, and just to enjoy that present moment with him, not to let the anxieties of the future interrupt or sabotage the joy of the presence of God in the moment. Disbelief, distractions, how do we move forward from some of these? You know, how do we become these people that Paul is talking about? We are these people. That's the good news. You know, so if you think that this is sort of a lead into, hey, we've got this 12-week apologetics class, you'll be pleasantly surprised that it's not. Uh, we are fans of catechism here because that, that age-old methodology of actually asking questions that are deep and meaningful about the nature of who God is, about the work of each member of the Trinity, about who we are as people and what we've been made for, that is important at age-appropriate levels. But we're not even talking about that today. What we're talking about is how do we move forward to become ambassadors, if you will, and that is to realize and to live in the fact that the 17th verse of that passage in 2 Corinthians says that we are new creations. If anyone is in Christ, it says he's a new creation. The actual translation is, if anyone's in Christ, new creation. Like, that's who we are. And the idea of, of being the new creation is the idea of being indwelt by God's Spirit, that suddenly God is not outside of us, but He is inside of us through His Holy Spirit. And bit by bit, He is transforming us. Sometimes it's a renewal experience, but, but it is new in the sense that we are being able to experience over time something that we could never have done without this reconciliation. We are becoming, says Colossians, formed in the image of Christ more and more. The new creation then is to allow the Lord's Spirit in us to inform, to reconnect us with our Heavenly Father, to understand the work of what Jesus has done, and to live life out of that place of peace and love and strength. The best way to describe it is some of the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, that experience of love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness, self-control. This is what the, the new creation looks like in practice. That's helpful because we can only be ambassadors to the extent that we are really citizens. We can only, an ambassador represents his or her nation to the extent that they are a citizen of that nation and understand the nation's values and understand the nation's priorities. If, if I was asked to be an ambassador from Japan to say, Russia, that would be a, a bad opportunity. I know very little about Japan. I don't speak the language, and I've never been to Russia and know even less about that place. So I'm just not a citizen. I'm like, that would be ludicrous. But we as citizens, if you will, of the kingdom are therefore called to be the ambassadors. And as we operate in that new creation that God, that Jesus has made us, where he's reconciled us to God, where we have let down our own guards and our own fights and our own kind of resistance and given ourselves over to the Lord with, with a desire to know more, Lord. I just want to know you more. Kind of like Peter said, don't just wash my feet, wash all of me. You know, we just want more of him. So be, here's the point, be centered in that place of new creation because that is our, our primary identity. When I was getting ordained as a deacon, the bishop said, 
said, John, you're going to have a lot of things that are on your mind as a deacon and then later as a priest. There'll be a lot of things related to the church, uh, things that you're thinking about, relationship with the Lord, with your family, all that stuff. There's a ton of projects that you'll be working on, and you need to work on those because that's part of the calling. But just remember this, that you are God's project, that the project that God is most interested in is you. And as you connect with him, the other things that are of concern to you will get done in him and through him. As you are, I would there update it with the, this context that we're dis discussing today, that as you operate out of that sense of being God's new creation, you are able to re fairly represent that to those around you. And that will be attractive in its own way. If you know Christ today, you are here because somebody faithfully, if not perfectly, represented Christ and his new creation, cared enough about us to have a conversation, uh, loved us enough to spend time with us, was able to take our objections, was able to handle our arguments, whatever it was, and they were being faithful ambassadors. This is our call as individuals. This is our call as a church. If not us, who? If not through being a new creation, how? What is our aim? To paraphrase Churchill, we can answer in one word. It is reconciliation. And we do that as we are new creations. And living in this new creation is indeed the greatest joy. Thanks for being with us online in the Sermon Podcast. To find out more about Holy Trinity Silicon Valley, head to www.holytrinitysv.org.